Hello and welcome to the Refresh Podcast. I am your host, Jared Cunningham. Here at the Refresh Podcast, you have heard me say time and time again that we aim to take a deeper dive into our faith and extend the conversation beyond Sunday morning. And I am very happy about this episode because we get to extend that conversation. I am joined by co-producer slash musician slash storyteller, Miss Kelly Flynn. Storyteller. I don't know that I live up to that. I feel uh, like you can you could host your own show. Well, this will be a nice trial run. We'll um, see. Yeah, I'm Kelly. I grew up in Ohio. I've lived in Florida for 10 years, and I can often be found playing a box at Citrus Church on Sunday mornings. And now singing into a microphone. Yeah, I layer in some harmonies here and there, but uh, I don't know. Sometimes I think, oh, sometimes I think uh, it's better if I'm muted. <laughs> no, I'm the one who needs to be muted, but I don't think that's allowed since I'm the guy with the title. So I have a question. What is the worst injury you've received? Like falling on the playground? What's the worst one? I guess technically the most severe injury I've had uh, came from when I was in eighth grade from playing leapfrog. I broke my finger because my friend... They were like, and you heard me right, I did say eighth grade playing leapfrog. It's a very dangerous game uh, for all ages. My friend was like, let's play leapfrog. And I was like, yeah, sure, let's play leapfrog. That's fun and ironic. And they jumped over me, and then I went to jump over them, and they ducked down as a joke. And so then I fell, but I stubbed my finger into the ground and managed to break it. Did I don't you wanna, see that one coming? I don't want to. <laughs> no, I can like kind of see it, but I don't want to like, not to like one up. I don't feel it's a one up because it's still like terrible. So my only like, I think it's the only like really bad injury I've had where I've actually had to go to the emergency room. I was in maybe fourth or fifth grade. My mom was a teacher at the school I went to. And what did she teach? She taught three-year-olds, so fun Just times. random things or like preschool? Yeah, she was oh, okay. preschool. She taught three-year-old pre, whatever they call it, K3. That's what they call it. Okay. So um, for whatever reason, it was an old, old school, and these were old, old buildings. For whatever reason, the back doors, they closed really, really hard. So whenever, you know, kids were going in and out, they always had to say, you know, be careful going in and out. And I was coming into her classroom and I was reaching back to like stop the door so it didn't close super hard and it smashed my finger. Oh, that sounds painful. It was. And it was bad enough. I don't remember what, I think it was on my left hand, but it was bad enough that I had to go to the emergency room for liquid stitches. So that's mm. been the worst. Yikes. Haven't had too Yikes. many injuries, but that's probably the worst. That's the only one where I've had to go to the emergency room. So Yeah. I didn't even go to the emergency room. Not really. I went to like an urgent ca- urgent care more or less like the next day. We didn't even think it was broken. And then my hand swelled up to the size of a balloon. So we're like, yeah, maybe we should go. So yeah, fun times. So... You might be wondering, like, why are they talking about injuries and pain and emergency rooms? And the reason being is the subject of today, more or less, kind of deals with pain, but not so much physical pain as just any 
pain or suffering pain or suffering that we deal with, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, whatever, what have you. Around, I guess, the summer of 2020, so last year, I lost a family member, and it was kind of scary because it kind of begs that question as to why God would allow certain things to happen. And at the time, I had finished... I was thinking about reading more C.S. Lewis books, but I decided to pick one up and kind of see what he had to say about pain. And the title of the book is The Problem of Pain. And if you don't know C.S. Lewis, you'll probably do another kind of deeper dive into his life at some point. He's had an interesting effect on my life. I've talked about him before on the podcast. He's the reason we, he's the reason I take my certain approach to worship. But years ago, years and years ago in the 40s, he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain, and the purpose was to discuss why a powerful, omnipotent, loving, forgiving, grace-providing God would allow his creations to experience pain and suffering. And what's most of all interesting is how, even in the kind of whatever you would call it, a prologue, preface, introduction, C.S. Lewis firmly states, like, this is not a book to, like, solve the problem. But his goal was to really kind of talk about why we experience them and why God allows it, more or less. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But what C.S. Lewis kind of comes to is that due to the fall of man, the original sin, and the fact that there's just sin in the world, we experience pain and suffering as kind of a byproduct as to God's grace and God's forgiveness and mercy. Because without those things, without pain and suffering, we wouldn't really recognize God for what he is. Or at least that's my interpretation of it. I don't know if, Kelly, you want to, how that sounds to you, but. No, I agree. I You can't appreciate the good without knowing the bad. But also, um, I believe part of why there is pain and suffering is because we have free will. And, um, you know, God allows the bad things to happen because we are allowed to choose what we do. And, um, you know, the Bible tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked. Like when you're, we're born into this world of sin and we're not naturally good people, we have to learn how to be good. Kids aren't born good and you don't have to teach them to be bad. You have to teach them to be good. And so that's why there are some bad things out there, not because God makes it happen, but because he allows us to be free to make the bad choices. Right. And I think what he's also getting to is that he allows, it's almost odd to say, but God allows those things to happen. You'll understand me. This will make sense. I think so. God allows these things to happen. I'm also doing air quotes around allows. But God allows these things to, to happen see. for everyone <laughs> to see. God allows these things to happen because in those, it's when we are drawn closer to God and we recognize his power and his grace within our lives. There's kind of sort of going to be a part two to this in a few weeks. Kind of, sort of. I don't want to give too much away. But to really kind of illustrate the point of kind of someone dealing with suffering and in a kind of poetic sense, it paints a pretty good picture, I'd say a great picture of what 
kind of reconciling with suffering and pain is like, we have a hymn in mind, and this is all Kelly's idea. <laughs> this is all Kelly kind of brought this point, and uh, if you I would, would just like to clarify that I use this as an example of something we could do, and Jared took that as, oh, okay, we're gonna do that now, and I was like, no, 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 like I'm not saying this is what we have to do. This is just an example of like an outline for something we could do, and now here we are. <laughs> You were giving ideas on, like, which way to go, and I hit the gas. That's pretty much what happened. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. But the hymn, and you're probably familiar with it, is It Is Well. And the lyrics are by, or the poem, we'll say, is by Horatio Spafford. So if you wouldn't mind kind of giving us some background about this song. Sure, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, as you mentioned, it was written by Horatio Spafford in 1873. Horatio was married to his wife, Anna, and they had five children together. He was a lawyer, and he invested in real estate in Chicago. And um, this hymn was really inspired by three specific events in his life that spanned over a few years. Um, First and foremost was the death of his four-year-old son in 1871, And also that same year was the Great Chicago Fire. Um, Now, those weren't related from what I could tell. I don't believe his son died in the fire. However, he owned a lot of property that was ruined by this Great Chicago Fire. And because of that, he was ruined financially. And that led him to where he was two years later. He was traveling, planning to travel to England with his wife and his four remaining children on the SS Ville du Harve. I have no idea how to pronounce that, so uh, don't quote me on that one. And they were going over there to assist with an evangelical campaign. And because of the fallout from the Great Chicago Fire, he had to stay behind. He wasn't able to leave with his wife and remaining daughters because there were some zoning complications, you know, real estate things and so he said you guys go ahead and I'll I'll get the next ship and I'll just meet you in England and while they left on the ship that he was supposed to go with them on they were sailing across the Atlantic Ocean when their ship hit another ship named the Loch Urn and the ship quickly sank it was um not a long thing from what the internet said. And all four of his daughters died in the wreck, but his wife did survive. And he received a telegram from her that just said, saved alone. And he knew what that meant and was devastated. But um, he wrote the lyrics, the poem for It Is Well, when he was taking his ship that he was taking to meet them over there and he was inspired to write the words the words came to him as he passed the spot in the Atlantic Ocean where the collision had taken his remaining kids lives and um, so yeah it's a very heartbreaking story it's a it's a tragedy for sure but it also shows us how um, how we can move through 
the tragic events that happen in our lives, that God is still with us even in those dark places. And he really, he really shows that he had an understanding and a relationship with the Lord because I'm sure he did question the things, all the questions you always ask when bad things happen, like, why did you do this to me? What did I do? Those things like that. But what really comes out, especially in this hymn, is his understanding of who God is and where he stands with the Lord. And what it reminded me of specifically is um, Philippians 4, 10 through 13, where Paul is writing to the Philippians and he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I really believe that that as well as um, Proverbs 3, 5, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, really um, to define is not really the word I want to say, but really outline the theme of this hymn. Because in all the verses, you know, the, the writer, Horatio, he said he acknowledges his sorrows, he acknowledges the trials, he acknowledges all of the bad, but he says, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Because he knows the one who created him, the one who created the world, the one who created everything, and he trusts him. And even though he doesn't understand why the things that happened to him happened, he understands the Lord and knows that he can be content knowing who God is and know that there is a hope. And he talks about that hope in the last verse, which talks about, um, Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall sound, and the Lord shall descend, and even so it is well with my soul. He looked forward to that hope in his suffering and um, just as we can also do that, too, and it's hard, it's easy to say that, and it's easy to say, just lean on the Lord, trust on the Lord, you know, there's hope, it's going to be okay, but it's a different, you have to choose to do it, and I think the writer really, Horatio, he really outlined that in this hymn, where he, he starts out by saying, you know, I'm, I have grief, I'm sorrow, but this is what you've taught me, so it is well. Sorry, I was... I love everything you said, and I had ideas, and I was looking up stuff that like reminded me of what you were saying. Here I thought you were going to correct me on my pronunciation of the SS. Barf, no, barf. no, 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 no
I am from a small town known for corn. My language is already Hey, I'm butchered. from a small state known for corn. Yeah, my language is already, it's already a little off. But um, what stood out to me, I won't go into like super, super detail because there's a whole episode about it. Episode, I was looking it up, episode 12 of the Refresh podcast. What a privilege. So in that episode, I talked about the, I talked about a few different hymns, I guess. But the one that stood out is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. That's my favorite hymn. And it's the first one I taught myself to play and other stuff. But the reason it stood out is, Kelly, I don't know if you knew this, but the background for that hymn is it is a poem written by, I looked up the name, and it might have disappeared on me, written by I'm on the edge of my Joseph seat. Scriven. In, I believe, 1855. And he wrote it as a way to comfort his mother in law after the passing of his wife. His wife had unexpectedly passed for whatever reason. I don't remember if she was, if it was another maybe shipwreck or a disease or something like that. But he wrote it, he was in Canada and he wrote it to her as a poem to like encourage her. And it's, Kind of, I don't know if surprising is the right word, but surprising how the things that come out of maybe our suffering or the pain or the things we feel, because those are two great examples of like someone kind of working through the pain and the suffering that they may feel. Um, going back to my notes. So if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we know you know that we've been talking about the book of Acts and we've been walking through kind of the early steps of the disciples kind of branching out and spreading the gospel across the world at that point. And I mentioned it in the last episode that I don't. it sounds about right in today's sense because if I were a disciple in the beginning of the book of Acts, I've seen Jesus, I've worked with Jesus for three years, and in the span of basically a weekend, I've seen him arrested, beaten, crucified, and buried. But I also see him rise again, and I'm hoping that things will be different. But then I see him ascend to heaven, and I'm left to figure out like what to do next. What a roller coaster that must have been. Right? I cannot even. Ooh, I can't even. But I can't fathom the like the ups and downs and the. Wow, talk about a plot twist. Yeah. But in Acts 1 and Acts 2, we see them kind of rally around each other and begin branching out and spreading the gospel just as they were instructed. And we see the Holy Spirit encouraging them to move forward. And we also see a change of heart in Saul, who becomes Paul, the writer of most, yeah, I'd say almost 80, it seems like a bit much, but 80% of the New Testament. He writes a lot of it, yeah. He writes letters. A lot he had of it's a lot either of time about in prison, him. so you got to pass the time somehow. Very true, and with all these miles he did on these mission trips, I mean, gosh. But we saw recently that in Paul's lifetime, he, like you just said, he was arrested many times. He's traveling a lot on his own, and in a lot of his letters, whether it be to Galatia, Ephesia, the Philippians, or I guess Philippi is what they were, or Corinthians, we see him like working to encourage and saying that God is still with us when we're weak or when we're 
not so strong. One verse, I didn't plan on it maybe being a motto for the podcast or for maybe the season we're in, but it keeps coming up, and it's 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And I shared it in the last episode, but I'll share it again because it just captures this, and it captures what the life of Paul must have been like as I pull up the right version. This is off the cuff. I was not planning to share this, but here we are. There we go. All right. And it talks about Paul kind of going through this period of uh, this period of maybe temptation or just not temptation, but struggle. And he was finding it very difficult to kind of move forward in his faith. And he asked that God kind of remove the problems he was dealing with. So Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 says, Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and in difficulties. For, uh, for the sake of Christ, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And as I said in the last episode, I don't believe Paul actually means like, he loved being, he loved feeling weak and dealing with insults and hardships. And Pastor Brian pointed the same out, same thing out this past weekend. I don't remember exactly what verse. It was Philippians it 4, was Philippians. 10 through 13. There the it same is. same one I talked about today. There it is. I was Googling stuff. I am sorry. It's okay. But he didn't enjoy, you know, weaknesses or insults or hardships, persecution. He didn't like, I'm pretty sure he didn't like being arrested and, but he was beaten a lot. Yeah. But I believe what he's saying is like, though he had to deal with all those things, he had reassurance in the fact that Christ was with him. God was with him and God was providing him strength through those times, just as he provides strength for us. And it didn't stand out to me last week, but it stands out this week. Like I said, in the problem of pain, C.S. Lewis says that we'd have no true concept of what grace is like if it wasn't for the pain and the suffering we go through. And just there in verse nine, it says, my grace is sufficient for you. And I think we wouldn't have any idea what that grace is like if it weren't for the things we go through. That's true. And I think it's also important to acknowledge the hope that we do have in those sufferings that um, going off of your second Corinthians, I have another one from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, verse, starting at verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this is all surpassing power, or this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And You know, we do have the pain, we do have the suffering, we do have the hardships, but they can feel like they destroy us. They can feel like they bring us down beyond repair and things are never going to get better. But the reality is that's not true, that we'll never be destroyed as much as it feels like we are because the fact is uh, Christ is there with us and he is with us in his suffering or in our suffering and we are with him for our hope. 
And I think that's also what uh, Horatio Spafford was saying, because in his, in his last verse, uh, it reminded me of Revelation 21.4 that says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He, the, like God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And I think it's really important to keep that into perspective that while things are hard now, we have that day where all of that's true. Um, and as the writer says, like, haste the day. We want the day where there's no more suffering for people. So we have that hope. So to kind of sum things up in just very few words, maybe not a few words, but some words. So just as Paul, as we said, dealt with being jailed and being, I feel like he was probably chased out of towns too. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's highly lot, likely. Yeah. Traveling I think he was miles. Stoned. Was he stoned? I feel like he probably was. Yeah. Probably. I'm pretty sure. And just as he kind of dealt with these hardships, just as we deal with our own hardships, just as we deal with the past 17 months, sounds about right. Just as we deal with the, seven, the past 17 months, we have hope and reassurance in the fact that God is still with us and he is our strength. And I feel like we have reassurance in the fact that, just as C.S. Lewis said, if it wasn't for these things we deal with, we wouldn't know how great and amazing our God is. And I feel like we wouldn't really know that he is, we wouldn't recognize that he actually is with us. So hopefully you have found today's podcast to be helpful or useful in some way. I enjoyed this. Yeah, it was a good talk. Yeah, we'll do a few more of these. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Stay citrusy. (laughs) 